Andrew Chan and Myron Sugamaran have been household names in Australia up until their execution in April last year. These two 30-year-olds were convicted as ringleaders of the so-called Bali 9 drug smuggling operation from Indonesia to Australia in 2006. But as their execution drew nearer at the beginning of last year, the Australian public were divided on whether or not they should be executed. There was a significant group of people lobbying the Indonesian government for clemency, that these two should be shown mercy at the hands of the Indonesian president. But what should be the grounds for mercy? Why should anyone be exempt from justice? Who should grant mercy? And on what reasons? The Bible doesn't shrink back from addressing significant questions about things like justice and mercy. In fact, the Bible takes great care to explain the relationship between these two things. And as Luke, the author of this book, seeks to assure, reassure Theophilus of all that he's been taught about Jesus, he wants to make certain that he understands the foundation for God's mercy. You see, Jesus has come to judge the people of God. You might remember that John the baptizer had prepared the way for him by calling people to repent and to have their sins forgiven. But now, Theophilus continue, as Theophilus continues to read this historic account of Jesus, he is shown the characteristics of those who respond rightly to Jesus' teaching. He is shown, Theophilus is shown, that the faith, the faith of the humble bring forth, brings forth the mercy of Christ. In our reading today, we find that there are a number of episodes in, in, in chapter 7. And, and we're going to look at three unnamed people and how they respond to the authority of the Lord Jesus. And in each of these three episodes in chapter 7, we see that the faith of the humble brings forth the mercy of Christ. And so that's what I want to leave us with today. The one thing, the faith of the humble brings forth the mercy of Christ. So let's have a look at how Luke does this as we look at, chapter, uh, at verse 1 of chapter 7. Following Jesus' sermon on the plain from last week in Luke 6, Jesus makes his way down to a town at the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, a town called Capernaum. And it's here that our Gentile reader, Theophilus, is shown the extraordinary faith of a Gentile centurion. Now this Roman official was obviously well respected by the people of Capernaum and the Jewish community in particular. He seemed to be of great help to them. Have a look with me at verse seven. Uh, sorry, verse 2. Verse 2 of chapter 7. A centurion there had a slave whom he highly valued and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus... He sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. He is worthy, the Jewish elders say, so do this for him. Of course, the Jewish elders 
must have also loved their own people and, and they had been delighted in the synagogue that, uh, that they had been given. And here it seems as though they felt worthy to approach Jesus on this centurion's behalf. And surely those who are worthy deserve God's favour, don't they? I want you to notice how worthy the centurion actually feels. From verse 6. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But only speak the word and let my servant be healed. The Gentile centurion does not count himself worthy to stand before Jesus, nor even to have him come into his house. This centurion is not owed anything by Jesus, and he knows full well that he does not deserve anything from him. The centurion's humility is strikingly evident in contrast to the Jews. And yet he knows that Jesus has the power to heal his servants, even at a distance. Does it strike you amazing here that that Jesus is amazed at the faith of this centurion? And so Jesus asks, will such faith be found among God's people, amongst Israel? Yet the faith of this humble Gentile centurion brings forth mercy. In my own experience, it's the humble that miss out. You snooze, you lose is the mantra that I often hear when it comes to getting things or being heard. Those who are self-effacing or reserved seem to fall to the back of the line and, and miss out on good things. But Jesus operates on a different plane. When it comes to his mercy, Jesus thinks differently to you and to me and to our world. It is not the pushy or the showy that here or that are heard or, or that he is concerned with. It is not the prominent or the proud that get his recognition. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble, as Proverbs 3.34 tells us. Although life experience tells us that humility is a sign of weakness, Jesus indicates that it is the humble who are given grace. When we start thinking about how worthy we are, then we miss out on God's grace. When we start thinking about how much he owes us, then we are on shaky ground. Here the faith of this humble, unnamed centurion brings forth the mercy of Christ. In the next episode, Jesus makes his way south of Capernaum through a small, the small village of Nain. It was a large crowd, uh, there was a large crowd still following Jesus, along with his disciples, and I guess they were wondering what was going to happen next. But I don't think in their wildest imaginations they could have predicted what was about to happen. As the crowd following Jesus entered this small village, there was another crowd already assembled in Nain. They weren't buzzing with excitement like Jesus' followers. They were grieving with a widow who had just lost her only adult son. 
It was a funeral procession. And it seemed that like everyone in this, uh, it seemed like everyone in this small village was there at the funeral. Now I've conducted a number of uh, funerals here at St. Peter's and there are many instances that I can remember that uh, uh, feeling a deep sorrow for the family. But there are limited things in, which, uh, in what I can do or what anyone can do for a grieving family. But I want you to notice what happens here. Notice what Jesus does. Verse 13. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now I'm sure every mother here can recognise the emotion of this moment. A dear widow with very little hope for her future, granted life for her only son. This is an extraordinary moment in this unnamed widow's life. This is an extraordinary moment in in this small, obscure village. A moment in history that's been recorded and retold for millennia so that people can know that the person of Jesus has power over death. The large crowd of followers plus the large crowd of mourners witnessed this amazing moment. And Luke records their testimony for us to read. Jesus has power over death. The topic of death is very rarely spoken about in our day. If you're looking to ruin the mood of a dinner party, then then just bring up death as as uh, as a topic of conversation. But what is it that makes us so edgy about the topic of death? Why are people so scared of death? Is it that we are uncertain about our own deaths? Is it that death disrupts our pursuit in life? Is it that deep down we know that we are unprepared for death? Well, death seems to scare just about everyone. But not Jesus. Jesus can handle death. In this passage, Jesus confronts death as its master. He's not scared. Jesus can handle death. And if Jesus can handle death, then you and I can handle death with him. It is the faith of this humble, unnamed widow in the face of death that brings forth the mercy of Christ. The third and final episode that I'd like to look at at in this chapter 7 here is the response of a sinful woman to Jesus at Simon the Pharisee's house. If you have a look at verse 36 there, verse 36, we find that, that Jesus has an invitation to Simon's house, which parallels to Jesus' invitation to, to Levi's house, the tax collector, in, uh, back in chapter 5. But this time, rather than the Pharisees, uh, this time rather than the Pharisees lurking in the background, grumbling about Jesus, here we find a sinful woman in the shadows behind Jesus. Now her reputation seems to precede her. 
indicating that she may have been known as, a, as an adulteress or, or even as a prostitute from the town. Certainly Simon recognises her and, and disapproves of her interaction with Jesus. But Jesus does not seem to mind her presence. She might be a bit of a, a blubbering mess, but her tears are genuine. Her actions are sincere. And her sentiment is touching. She has great affection for Jesus. But Simon's irritation is noticed by Jesus. And it is in response to his irritation that Jesus tells us this parable. Have a look there at verse 40. Follow follow with me. Verse 40. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Simon's answer is, is pretty quick and receives a positive response from Jesus. But I wonder whether he understood straight away what was going on here. Jesus is holding up a mirror to Simon's face. In the parable, both had a debt. Both could not pay. Both needed mercy. You see, the problem that Simon has is the same problem that you and I face every day. It's the problem of comparison. When you compare yourself to other people, it's quite easy to think that you're doing all right. Like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who prays out aloud, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like cheaters and sinners and adulterers or or even this tax collector. The problem of comparison can lead us to think that we have no debt to pay or that maybe God needs us. But Jesus is crystal clear with his parable, indicating that all of us are in debt to God. All of us, no matter how clean we look, no matter how much we try, all of us need God's mercy. Simon was right. The person with the greater debt cancelled will love his creditor more. But will Simon recognise his own debt? The sinful woman did. And she, with great affection for Jesus, showed her love. She had been forgiven much. And so she loved much. Tell me, do you love Jesus? How much do you love him? Do you really love him? Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the key to love for God is discovered when we come to the cross where Jesus wipes away my debt, my sin and grants me forgiveness. You see, God has given Jesus authority to forgive our sins. 
And he has already demonstrated that he has this authority back in chapter 5 when, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man. And again he says it here to the sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. He can do that. He has God's authority. But it seems that the Pharisees don't get it. It seems that they don't believe Jesus. It seems that they are too proud to put their faith in him at all. And so they love him little. But Jesus can forgive sins. He does forgive sins. And he forgives the sins of this humble, sinful woman. It's no wonder at the end of the episode that Jesus says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, if you are burdened by the sins of your past, feel the release that Jesus brings to this sinful woman. Humbly come to the one who God has given authority to forgive sins and know the joy of having your debts cancelled, gone, forgiven. This sinful woman did. The faith of this humble, unnamed, sinful woman brings forth the mercy of Christ. Well, we've seen in chapter 7 the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to three unnamed people. There's the unnamed centurion whose humble recognition of Jesus' authority and his great faith has his servant healed at the mercy of Jesus. We've also seen the unnamed widow who was the recipient of Jesus' compassion in the face of death. This humble lady receiving the mercy of Jesus Christ. We've seen the unnamed sinful woman who who was significantly, significantly grateful for the mercy of Jesus. She had been forgiven much and so she loved Jesus greatly. And in chapter 7, as Luke seeks to reassure Theophilus of all that he has been taught about Jesus, he wants Theophilus to know the certainty of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He wants Theophilus to understand the foundation for God's mercy. We are all in debt and we all need our sins forgiven. And it is the faith of the humble that brings forth the mercy of Christ. When it comes to matters of justice in our world, we may not see mercy given. And in some certain situations, we may not see justice given. But when it comes to matters of justice and mercy of God, we can be certain that the faith of the humble brings forth the mercy of Christ. May you leave here today knowing that a humble faith in the Lord Jesus' death for your sin will grant you mercy from God our Saviour. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the certain words of Luke here to Theophilus. 
We thank you that Luke may know the certainty of sins forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Heavenly Father, to recognise the debt we owe God and recognise how much we have been forgiven. Help us to show Jesus the affection that he deserves and that we ought to give. Help us to fall at his feet, recognising the mercy he has shown us on the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.